Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put all these things in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. For weeks now, we've been flying blind. We've been trading stocks without much of a clue about earnings, mostly taking our cue from the much larger bond market. That includes today, where Treasury yields soared, and so did stocks, with the Dow pole vaulting 448 points. The S&P jumping 1.13%, NASDAQ gaining 0.98%. These were all new records. Basically, a redo, a do-over from yesterday's decline. While once again, we have emphasized that you must learn to use sell-offs caused by big interest rate declines, not stocks, but interest rate declines, as opportunities, not reasons to panic. Next week, though, we stop flying around. Well, sort of. Yep, we start to get a clue when we kick off what feels like an endless earnings season, right? Now that we've got so many publicly traded companies to deal with, so many IPOs in the last year. I say sort of because earnings season kicks off with the major banks and all the stocks, <laughs> all the stocks in the market. They're the ones that are most hostage to interest rates. Rates go down, the banks make less money. Rates go up, the banks make more money. In other words, they're a microcosm for how the market's been trading for the last few weeks. I think some of these bank stocks stole from their upside today when they snapped back even harder than the rest of the market. But that's because we're coming off four days of plunging bond yields. Today, we finally saw a break in that decline and a nice move upward. It's too late to save the quarters. They're about to report next week. But I do think the banks have a chance to resume the climb that began earlier this year when Wall Street thought the Federal Reserve would respond to a booming economy by raising short rates which it will eventually. Uh, with that in mind, what's the game plan for next week? On Monday, we expect to see what happens in this country now that the vicious Delta variant has become the dominant uh, COVID strain. And I'm betting we'll see that it wreaked havoc wherever large swaths of people chose not to get vaccinated. As Dr. Eric Topol told us last night, the FDA's foolish decision not to approve the vaccine's beyond emergency status has kept some people from from just getting their injections. More important, though, it makes it harder for businesses to insist that their employees get vaccinated. With those two things, we could put an end to the pandemic without, well, we're just going to stay on what I call needless tension hooks. I think we'll also get more clarity out of China about what's next. Now that President Xi seems to eager to keep ramping up the belligerents every weekend, every Sunday night. I think he's just testing President Biden. I hope President Biden's ready. 
Tuesday's important because we have the best consumer packaged goods company on earth and the best bank reporting. And here I'm talking about PepsiCo and J.P. Morgan. Both are problematic at the moment. Uh, look, PepsiCo, I know that they're going to give us great numbers, but they also have to talk about how raw costs keep going up, especially freight. J.P. Morgan should give us excellent numbers, too, but they're going to have to talk about how trading and lending aren't as strong as they should be. I think both stocks are too high at this moment, given those two negatives I just lined out. So I would hold off on buying them uh, before earnings, unless, of course, we get a meaningful pullback on Monday. In that case, I would buy PepsiCo. We also get results from Goldman Sachs. If people are worried about trading profits, and they should be, then that means, well, they're going to have to be extra worried about Goldman, which so much of their business is trading profits, even as corporate financial revenue should be very strong. Don, you know what? I got to tell you, I wish both Goldman and J.P. Morgan weren't up more than 3% today. This conversation with, me, with you would be a lot easier. Oh, now, let's not forget that the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, comes out Tuesday morning. Now, remember, last time we got a red-hot CPI and the market immediately sold off hard because traders were convinced that the Fed would have to quickly slam on the brakes. Uh, they had to stop the economy because of inflationary numbers. They were dead wrong. So if we do get a hot CPI, and we probably will, well, the inflationists are, are going to come out of the woodwork and make you try to, try to get you to sell stocks. Maybe we don't listen this time. Hey, we got three biggies on Wednesday. We got Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and Citigroup. Wells is a turnaround story more than it is a banking story. If CEO Charlie Scharf tells us a good tale about how the turn is going, then I think his stock can actually break away from the group, maybe even make new highs for the year. Now, I'm not so sure about Citigroup's earnings quality. New CEO there. Uh, I, 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 it's an expensive stock, but I don't want to get behind it. Now, Bank of America, that's different. I'll say this. If you believe the economy is going to get stronger and interest rates will rise and maybe rapidly rise, then you want to buy the stock of Bank of America right here, right now. Delta Airlines reports, too. I want to know how much damage the Delta COVID strain is doing to Delta. We also need to know if business travelers are finally coming back. It's hard to read. Are lots of international cancellations occurring? That's always a possibility because of Delta. Finally, we hear from BlackRock. Now, I'm sincerely hoping they tell us their, their position on outfits like Engine Number 1, which is the hedge fund that spent $12 million to win a proxy fight for three seats on Exxon's Mobile's board of directors with the goal of making the company more environmentally friendly. BlackRock's a huge ETF company. They own tons of shares in everything. So if they support this kind of thing going forward, well, it's got major implications for all companies. Now, if the CPI comes in too hot, we won't have to wait long to figure out what the Fed will do, because Jay Powell speaks on Wednesday. He's insisted that the current bout of inflation would be transitory. And right now, I think he has a lot of evidence that it is on his side, given that many commodity prices have rolled over in the past, let's say, eight or nine weeks. Plus, the Chinese economy has slowed down thanks to the Delta variant, and China's a huge consumer of commodities. When I worry about China, I'm more concerned with what they'll do to Taiwan. If they're crazy enough to invade it and it doesn't turn into a nuclear war, that'd be terrible in a number of ways. In terms of the global economy, though, it means China would get its hands on Taiwan Semi, the key foundry for much of America's chip making. They report on Thursday. I think Taiwan Semi uh, can tell us whether microchip prices have peaked. I think they have more to go. I hope one analyst will ask if they are frightened of a Chinese takeover. But these analysts pride themselves on never, ever, ever asking controversial political questions. Earnings calls are not press conferences. 
This week, President Biden made it clear that he's no friend of big business. He just issued an executive order mandating tougher scrutiny of corporate consolidation across a host of industries. However, I didn't hear anything about the health insurers. That's good news for United Health when it reports on Thursday. And it, it, it is still viable here. I know it's over 400, but I have to tell you, I very foolishly sold this for my charitable trust about 100 points ago. After making about 100 points, I thought I was being a pig. Turns out I was being a fawn. After the close, we hear from Alcoa. They gave us a fantastic quarter last time, but now it looks like many of the cyclicals have peaked. This one's especially important because aluminum goes into everything, and the rising cost has been a major stumbling block for gross margins for a lot of the, ma- of the buyers of aluminum. I want you to pay attention. Finally, Friday gives us the first important regional bank, one of our favorites, First Horizon. Now, I think it could be a whopper of a quarter because its core Tennessee market is red hot, maybe the hottest in the country. We're going to also hear from Kansas City Southern, the railroad that's trying to merge with the Canadian outfit. Expect them to comment maybe on Biden's newfound hostility to the industry. Analysts, will you please ask that question? I think the White House is trying to block this deal. I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow get their way. Here's the bottom line. What happens next week will color the entirety of earnings season. If we get some good ones, we'll be in party mode. But a negative series of numbers from the banks and some upsetting COVID stats could make for a tough earnings season. It's just a precursor, especially, though, if we get saber rattling, continued saber rattling from the People's Republic of China. Tony in North Carolina. Tony. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Tony. Hey, man, thank you for all you do and uh, all your staff. They're great, man. Uh, uh, you're very kind. Thank you. I, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on a company that are consistently beating earnings. Uh, they're still this pretty young company. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on growth generation. Well, you know, Grow Generation is a stock that we got behind in the teens, and then it got to 60, and we, we kind of aborted ship. It's come back down. I happen to think the world of these guys as a way to be able to play cannabis. I like it much more than any of the actual cannabis stories. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate the comments. Next week, we'll color the entirety of earnings season. That means a negative series of bank results. I'm not betting on that, but it, and some bad COVID stats, which I am betting on, could set a bit of a somber tone as the season begins. Well, man, money tonight. How is a company that I really like, a semiconductor company called Synaptics, Synaptics capitalizing on a more connected world? I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out. Then with Senator Elizabeth Warren calling on the SEC for greater oversight of cryptocurrency exchanges, what does that mean for stable coins like Tether? I'm taking, again, a closer scrutiny. And I'm sitting down with the CEO of Lightspeed to discuss the state of small business at the register. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is 
constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what do we do with all these tech stocks after these great runs that are flirting with new highs? Take a company called Synaptics. That's a company that makes human interface solutions for phones, computers, all sorts of connected devices, everything from touchscreens to fingerprint sensors to high-quality displays. Now, in the last two years, the stock has surged from the 30s to the 150s, including a 40-point run since tech bottom in mid-May. Now, we last recommended Synaptics right before the pandemic hit. Since then, it's up an astounding 80%. Now, it doesn't hurt this is a fabulous 5G play, especially since the company's been diversifying away from phones and into the whole Internet of Things. You know, we like that much more. We'll see more and more connected devices thanks to the 5G rollout and guys like Synaptics. It's a great story, but the stock has had a monster move. So let's kick the tires with Michael Hurlston, the president and CEO of Synaptics, to get a better read on his company's process. Mr. Hurlston, Mr. welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, great to great to see you, and thanks for having me again. Of course. Now, uh, you are a very self-effacing gentleman, sir, and you admitted that at one point you did not understand why your price earnings multiple was so low, given all the things that have happened, and that's why we were attracted to it. In the interim, what's happened that you basically got a very good business that suddenly everybody realizes is, a, is basically a very good business versus when we talked to each other last? Uh, yeah, great recollection. I, I think we've done a couple of things that have gotten attention. Uh, we talked about it last time we got together. The first thing was is gross margin improvement. We've made monstrous strides in that department. When I took the company over two years ago, the gross margins were pegged at below 38% and had been there for quite some time. And we've made significant strides. Now we're in the mid to upper 50s, big, big move in that department. And the second thing you, you alluded to in your, your opening remarks, we've been able to diversify the company. We've moved away from mobile uh, into IoT, which has better growth characteristics and even better gross margin characteristics. So those two things are kind of the big, big moves in, in, in our story. Now, it does seem when I, when I hear about the semiconductor shortage, it's about, I don't want to call it as being low-end versus high-end, but a lot of the semiconductor companies have just been chasing the same thing, high-performance computing. They're not going for full-featured semiconductors like you are. How did you know to pivot? Because, boy, as far as I can tell, I want IoT. I, I do want PC. But most important, I want things like where, uh, and you have to explain this word to me, Hoteling, you're hoteling, and I want auto. Everybody chased the same market. You got out, you went into a better market and your multiple gain. How did you see that you had to go into things that actually turned out to be perfect, oddly, for the pandemic? Yeah, we, we made two great acquisitions. Uh, one was a set of wireless connectivity assets from Broadcom. And that worked out super well. Everything needs to be connected and, and wireless seems to be the way to do it. And that has proven to be a great move. 
And the second one you, you talked about, a company called DisplayLink, and they're based in the UK, and they have this, this really cool technology that enables you to dock your PC to multiple monitors. But what's unique about it is you can dock an Apple PC, you can dock a Windows-based PC, you can dock a Chromebook. And as people went to work at home, that was a big win. Interestingly enough, as people are coming back to the office, it's creating another big win for us because of this concept hoteling. People are going to share their office space. And in that shared office space is going to be a docking station. And more likely than not, it's a display link driven docking station. So those two acquisitions have been great for us, Jim. And uh, we couldn't be more pleased with the way they've worked out. Okay, so you, you do talk positively about the PC market. Some people feel that the PC market has slowed. I, I feel that judging from what you, what's happening at your company, I'm not sure it's that it made, made that much difference to you because you keep taking a lot of the share of what's in a PC, which is often better than necessarily riding the wave of PCs. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a pretty diversified business, as you said at the outset. We're in PCs, we're in mobile phones, but more importantly, we're in, we're in the Internet of Things. So as we talk about our PC business, there's our core touchpad and fingerprint that goes into the PC itself. But then we've got this whole other angle that has to do with the docking station side of the equation. So the two together have really worked in harmony and and built us a pretty strong, sustainable business. One that if the PC market does downturn, we've got a whole nother leg to stand on, which has to do with this docking station business. So in aggregate, it's it's been a great story for us. How about security cameras, drones, uh, autos? We should talk about those because those are other those are businesses that people forgot to do when they were so busy chasing high performance computing. You got it just right. I think it's been a play for us, particularly in the wireless side of our portfolio. I mentioned that wireless asset that we got from Broadcom. We position that not to go after the mainstream types of products like high performance computing or uh, really high speed types of applications. We positioned it to go into things, things like drones, things like automobiles, like games. Uh, we've done really, really well with that business. It's outperformed our best expectations. And I think it's because we didn't go after what everybody else was chasing. We repositioned it to go after an interesting market that has turned out to be a great grower. Yeah, that, well, we have to leave it there. But I want people to understand, as much as I love that, everyone knows I like AMD, everyone knows I like NVIDIA, but I like a pastiche. You need the mosaic, and you have the most ideal PC, mobile, hoteling, IoT, auto mosaic that makes it so I'm not worried about you if things suddenly switch. That's Michael Hurlson, President and CEO of Synaptics, uh, SYNA, who's taken a company that had previously overpromised and underdelivered, and he ended that, and now they're doing just the opposite. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up, don't make a move until you hear Kramer's take on a critical crypto caveat. Can you cash in and let stability ring? Find out next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. A lot of people talking about the rewards of cryptocurrency. Not many talk about the risk. That's not the way we're going to approach this. The biggest risk to the cryptocurrency ecosystem right now, so-called stable coins, are like Tether. These are the ones that are supposed to be pegged to something in the real world, like the U.S. dollar. You probably think they are. Because most cryptocurrencies are too volatile to be used in actual transactions, lots of people swap between Bitcoin and Tether or Ethereum and Tether when they want to do business. I think they're much more like stocks, but people want to claim their currencies. And that's how Tether's become the third largest cryptocurrency. Why is this such a significant risk? Because while Tether's ostensibly pegged to the dollar, it's not like it's sitting on a big pile of greenbacks. Instead, each of these stable coins is backed by Tether's reserves. And unfortunately, we don't really know what those reserves are, except that they include a ton of commercial paper, short-term loans to unspecified companies in unspecified regions. That's why I raised a bunch of questions about this thing, because we need those answers. I think they have adopted an ill-advised strategy with little transparency. Since then, we've had a lot of developments in the space, but not many answers. Instead, in the last months, lots of important institutions and politicians have started looking into the risks from stablecoins, especially Tether, perhaps at our incessant prompting. I think that's fine, but it's also a step in the right direction. But not enough is being done to fix what many, including some of my Chinese sources, say is a ticking time bomb. So let me catch you up on what's been going on here since we first brought it to your attention. As I told you last month, Tether has more than $60 billion in reserve assets. And as of their last disclosure, roughly half of that is commercial paper, which would make Tether one of the largest holders of commercial paper on Earth. But here's the problem. I know a lot of people in this market, and nobody in the commercial paper world that I know seems to have ever heard of these guys. And that's what Tim Massett, he was the former chairman of the Community uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, an old buddy of mine from law school, told us last month. Then a few hours later, the Financial Times published a piece where they uncovered something similar. Listen to this. Quote, until last week, we hadn't really heard of them, end quote, said a trader at a large bank. It was news to us. In other words, if they're not trading, if they were trading our commercial paper, everybody would know them because they're so big. Remember, these are short-term loans to businesses, but we don't know which businesses. So if major players in the industry haven't even heard of Tether, and that means major traders, you got to wonder whose paper they're buying. And when we reached out to Tether for more clarity, they told us that they hold commercial paper from, quote, international issuers, end quote which I don't think is that much to go on. They also made it clear that none of this paper comes from cryptocurrency exchanges, which is good, but not that illuminating. 
Whose paper is it? Tether says they're buying this paper through bank intermediaries. So maybe that's why nobody's heard of them. But we don't know who those banks are. More important, we don't know what part of the world this paper is coming from. Because now why, here's why this is important. See, if they're holding commercial paper from Chinese companies, that's a very different story than commercial paper from, say, Canadian companies. Call me a skeptic about Chinese bank commercial paper. What else? Three weeks ago, another one of these stable coins collapsed. This is Titan, a decentralized finance token that supported an algorithmic stable coin called Iron. Now, it's a different beast than something like Tether. But what matters is Titan went to zero in a matter of minutes. That made a bunch of headlines, in part because some big-name investors like the very smart, good guy Mark Cuban got burned. Now, Cuban's calling for more regulatory oversight here, and he's a pretty influential guy. I hope we get it. Here's what really caught my eye on why we had to go back. Two weeks ago, Eric Rosengren, when I was on vacation, the president of the Boston Fed gave a speech where he highlighted stablecoins like Tether as a major potential challenge to financial stability. He's not super worried about crypto ecosystem, but if something like Tether falls apart, that could have a major impact on the short-term credit markets, too. Last week, Fitch, totally reliable outfit, split right down the middle, one of the big three ratings agencies spelled out these risks in more detail. Basically, if there's a run on Tether, they have to sell the reserves in order to pay off people who want to trade in their coins for dollars. And that would mean selling a ton of commercial paper, given the amount they own. That would certainly have an impact, especially if President Xi ordered it. Fitch also points out another potential problem, something that, like Tether, quote, may not be stable if short-term credit spreads widen significantly, as has occurred in times of financial stress in 2020, 2007, 2008. This contrasts with the way stablecoins are marketed to the public, end quote, suboptimal. Finally, two weeks ago, Senator Elizabeth Warren, whom we're trying to get hold on to come on the show to talk about this, published an open letter to SEC Chairman Gary Gensler, who has a lot on his plate, calling for greater oversight of the crypto ecosystem. She's not specifically focused on stable coins, but she points out that crypto markets are ripe for manipulation and outright fraud. And she wants to make sure someone at the SEC is on the case. Once the federal government starts shining more of light on crypto, I have to believe stable coins like Tether will emerge as a major point of focus. I think this is a much better use, by the way, of Senator Warren's time than coming after Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan for charging people overdraft fees, which we don't like. Now, something else has changed in the last month beyond the fact that Tether's getting more attention. In the first five months of the year, the amount of Tether in circulation surged from $21 billion to more than $62 billion, practically in a straight line. In the last month, though, it's pretty much flatlined, actually down very slightly. That may be because crypto hasn't exactly had a great month, with Bitcoin down a few thousand bucks uh, versus June 9th. When we reached out to Tether, they said that demand is down. But this is a chicken and egg problem. Does demand for Tether rise? as Bitcoin goes up, attracting more investors? Or does the creation of Tether drive the price of Bitcoin higher? Remember, lots of crypto trades use Tether to buy Bitcoin with borrowed money. Obviously, correlation does not equal causation. But it sure is interesting, isn't it, that Bitcoin can't seem to maintain a sustainable rally once Tether stops being created. One more theory. This one's a little out there. Many people worry that Tether's commercial papers from Chinese issuers. This is a Hong Kong-based company, after all. We know there's been a rolling crackdown on cryptocurrencies in the People's Republic of China. They're trying to stamp, stamp out crypto completely. So it's possible that many of the institutions Tether was buying its commercial paper from could be now barred from doing business business with it. 
Well, that's pure speculation, though. But a lot of people have been turning it up to me. Again, I'm not trying to bash crypto. The opposite. I think we need some kind of stable coin to facilitate digital transactions. But Tether's way too opaque for me. We need the same transparency we get from traditional money funds. What would good stable coin look like? Maybe USD coin, which has grown into the eighth largest cryptocurrency and the second largest stable coin because it offers more transparency. USD coin is far from perfect, but it's a U.S. company operating under U.S. financial technology regulations with a U.S. order and U.S. bank accounts. It's got some flaws. Last year, it went from simply holding cash to holding cash plus approved investments. And just like Tether, we don't have much insight into what those investments are. Oh, and the company behind the one circle uh, plans to come public by merging with a SPAC. So be prepared to hear more about it going forward. The bottom line, it's been a month since we started covering the stable coins and Tether still remains a decidedly black box. But at least the powerful people are starting to take notice of what's going on here. This stuff is too important to the crypto ecosystem not to be regulated. We think it's our duty on this show to point out the weaker links in crypto so you and the regulators know the risk facing crypto and crypto owners, including yours truly. Dan in Texas. Dan. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Thank you. I'm an Action Alert member, and I know oh, many of your names. Thank you for that. Thank you. But I wanted to play crypto, and I was trying to find a way to get into crypto without actually owning the, the actual coinage, but to own a business that benefits from it. So back in mid-April through mid-May, I was buying Coinbase when it first came public, and it hasn't done so well since then. I'm wondering, what should we do? Should we hang on? Should we sell? Should we buy more? No, What's I actually think it's, it's stabilizing here. Uh, you know, I had more faith in Coinbase. I'd like to have them come back on. I'd like the CEO come back on because I think it might be making a base here. And it is an important. I was surprised. Look, it was a, it was launched in a strange way. And I was trying to get people to not overpay uh, by giving a price that I said, please don't overpay. And then it went right beyond it. And then it went down. My take on this is that it's finally reached a level. There was a lot of insiders selling, uh, and that really hurt people, but I think we're okay here. Let's go to Raymond in California, please. Raymond. Hey, Jim. Uh, I've been following you for over 15 years. Oh, wow. Um, it's first time calling in. Okay. Uh, thank you and your team for all the hard work you guys do. I had a oh, question thank about- you. Thank you. I mean, I should have thanked that our previous time about action alerts. I mean, people are so delightful. It's Friday. I got to kick back and thank people for calling in and following for 15 years. How can I help you? Hey, had a question about Marathon Digital Holdings, ticker symbol MARA. Okay. Uh, with, the expect, with the expected volatility in Bitcoin and the entire crypto market, what's your take on the biggest and best Bitcoin miner in North well, America? Well, they are. Exactly. That's what I would say. They're biggest and best. And I'd, sometimes I like to own the picks and shovels. Uh, and you've got a good one. I, you know, I, I have looked at this Marathon Digital. And time and again, I've said, maybe that's the one rather than Coinbase. I should be saying is a way to be able to play this rather than just going and buying the actual crypto. Because a lot of people don't want to do that. I got comfortable with it, um, but you're right. This is a good one. All right. Tether remains cryptic at this point, and it, it has to be regulated. It's just too important to the crypto ecosystem. And I know the New York, New York State doesn't even let it happen here. Now, much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Lightspeed. How the company is helping retail and hospitality players go digital, particularly at the register. Then I'm talking with the CEO of you know, that's of Lightspeed. I'm sorry. Then forget recovery shaped in L, U, or V. I'll tell you why and what we're seeing in the market. And it's nothing to do with the alphabet, but you're going to remember it. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
always searching for exciting new financial technology plays. And last fall, we got a good one. When a Canadian company, Lightspeed, POS, that's point of sale up at this symbol, listed its shares in the New York Stock Exchange. These guys make point of sale and e-commerce software for small and medium-sized businesses, especially retailers, restaurants, but also like golf places. Uh, Lightspeed initially lived up its name. It's shooting from $3.50 late September to the low 80s at its highs in February. But then the hyper-growth cohort rolled over. The stock ended up falling to mid-50s by mid-May. It is a very expensive stock test. Lately, though, the hypergrowth stocks have made a huge comeback, including Lightspeed, which has broken out and jumped to $85. You can see why investors are excited about this one. The company had 127% revenue growth in its recent quarter. Most of that sticky subscription revenue, uh, the best kind, but they've done a lot of acquisitions to also boost revenue. So have we missed the move here, or could the stock have much more room to run? And what's the state of the industries they play in? Let's check in with Dax De Silva. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lightspeed POS. Learn more. That's the symbol again. To learn more about the company where it's headed. Mr. De Silva, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so Dax, I'm, I don't know if you know, but I am a Lightspeed client. <laughs> I wanted to reveal that you probably do know that I am. I wanted to say we did the work um, and, just, and felt that you were a great alternative to the other people. And you were also your salespeople were very, very kind. But it's a, it is a crowded market. And I have to tell you, there were many companies that wanted even our little bars business. So how does Lightspeed distinguish itself from, say, a Square, a Clover, other companies that are very aggressive and wanted our business? Yeah, I mean, we, we've always been that one-stop platform, uh, commerce platform. We do retail, we do hospitality, and as you said, golf. Uh, but, you know, I th- how we differentiate is we, we've gone beyond the point of sale. We've gone into lighting up the digital strategies because it's, it's, it's more important than ever to be able to go beyond just your physical business. Uh, and we saw that during COVID. You know, delivery is important, e-commerce, uh, online booking, uh, order ahead. All of these different workflows are just key to the success of a business uh, going forward. But let me ask you, you've had to do a huge number of acquisitions. A lot of times, smaller companies that do a lot of acquisitions, it gets difficult. And you start to think, well, wait a second, they're fast growing. But are they managing to be able to meld all these different companies? The last few acquisitions, I think, have been great. But do you need to do yeah. more? Or can you settle down? Well, I think that what this has been a unique opportunity in the market. It's commerce is radically changing. You know, we're, we're not going to be doing business in our retail stores and hospitality businesses, uh, you know, post COVID. Uh, and so now is a great time to bring a lot of the best in breed players together under the Lightspeed banner. So we did Shopkeep, we did Vend, we did Upserve. Uh, these are well-known names around the world for, for retail and hospitality. But we also just recently did uh, some very forward-looking uh, acquisitions with New Order, which is B2B supply chain uh, for these merchants, and Equid, which is digital-first e-com strategies. And that's, uh, that's, that's understanding that, uh, you know, and I, you've said it on your show many times, if you don't have the supply, you're not going to be a successful SMB. So now we've got the scale. We've got 140,000 merchants because we brought all these other companies together, the, the shopkeeps and the vends and the upserves. But now we've got to make sure that these businesses have supply uh, and, we, and they've got to have the right digital strategies as well. So all the pieces are coming together for us being this one-stop platform uh, for, for the future of commerce. Okay, so my company uh, came in via Upserve. We have hmm. good customers yeah. Upserve. And we were delighted to have to work with the new Lightspeed people. But let me ask you, how many of the Upserve clients have you, and also of the other companies that you bought, have you been able to keep 
uh, because, you know, it's a big world and some people just that's an opportunity right then for toast to move in or it's a move. Right. It's a time for Square to come in. How are you, How sticky are these customers? So these customers are well established and you're one of them. So you're a stout, you're an established business. Uh, and you're doing significant volumes. Our, our customers are doing north of 600K in, in annual revenue, and they want solutions that are fulsome, uh, that, that are going to meet all of their needs today and also going into the future. So they're, they're less likely to churn because, of, because they're well-established. Uh, and they want to make sure that they have lots of room to grow. Uh, and so Lightspeed's become, it's always been an aspirational system, but what's, what's changed about Lightspeed is it's gone from a nice to have because it's got all these digital strategies. That's become must have. It's become an absolute necessity to have a system like this. Uh, and it's not whether, whether you're, whether you're going to do the digital piece of the, of the puzzle. It's, it's now you must do it and you, and you're going to thrive by making sure the businesses that you run are are well-rounded and resilient, uh, no matter how the economy changes and how consumer tastes uh, evolve. Now, you have both, I think, good relationships both with, this, with Stripe and with Google. This is not easy. Uh, and they seem <laughs> to be uh, getting stronger and stronger. Those are Stripe. I don't think people know how powerful Stripe is because it's a private company. But these are relationships. Have you personally cultivated them? Because I find them to be amazing to a retailer or to a restaurateur. Well, that's 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 the special part about where we are right now in terms of our scale. You know, we are, um, you know, Google came to us because we are a, a representative for physical retail. Uh, you know, we, there's there's no company that you would come to that's in the new school of cloud players than Lightspeed to really do, be able to do what we did with Google. It's a first of its kind partnership. Uh, in order for, for, for these retail businesses to be able to show local inventory, uh, you know, that's how we were able to innovate with, uh, with Google. And same with Stripe, uh, being able to innovate for these omni-channel businesses that are doing some online and some in-store, you know, we're doing a lot of these experiences with Stripe for the first time in the market. Uh, and so a lot of these big players are noticing that Lightspeed is, is pushing ahead uh, because of its scale and because of, its, uh, because of the needs in, uh, of our innovative customers pushing ahead much quicker than others. Uh, and so when we ally with these big companies, we're able to do remarkable things for, for our business, for, our, for the businesses we serve. Well, I wish I could demonstrate to people everything these guys do, but they do have a great website and you can see everything <laughs> that they provided to me, including the dashboard, everything that they do. This is a small business gem. Uh, and there are a lot of small businesses, and they can't compete with the big guys without an outfit like Lightspeed. So Dax De Silva, the founder and CEO of Lightspeed, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. It's great to meet you. Thanks so much. All right. Point of sale is a great battleground, and we deal with a lot of the companies like the Square, and we deal, we've had Clover on uh, before it got merged, and I hope that you understand that this is a great growing area, but you got to do the work because these are expensive stocks. Mad Money's back after the break. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with you. The lightning round is coming up next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Thank you for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Greg in Texas. Greg. Hey, Jim. Hey, I got Greg. a question this afternoon that's regarding trade. I'm I've sorry. been holding this trade symbol T, AT&T. Oh, I'm not a fan, sir. I really think that if you want growth, you want T-Mobile. If you want income, you should go with Verizon. That's just the way I feel. Or, by the way, I'm actually willing to say Chevron for uh, 
for you. Let's go to Kelly in Nevada. Kelly. Hello. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I was wondering about, uh, I'm wondering if you could give me some advice on ACTOR, ticker ATKR. Yeah, uh, steel tubes, wire, it's a great pastiche. Let's have them on. Because it's the kind of stock that works here, but I got to have more. I got to see the whites of their eyes. Let's go to Matthew in California. Matthew. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Yo. Uh, hope, I hope you and Ragu are enjoying the summer. The garden looks amazing. I hope my portfolio grows just like it. Oh, you just uh, made my day. Thank you. I needed it. What's up? <laughs> uh, the company I'm calling about is Arrival. Ticker ARVO. Oh, well, another one. Look, Arrival and Fisker. I see it at Lucid. Uh, I got to tell you, you know which one I like best? Ford! I think we start buying Ford here. Hey, by the way, I like Tesla Denier. I know I, I was speaking to, uh, to Ross Gerber today. Have good interactions on uh, Twitter. And, and we both think that Tesla's at the right level. Uh, how about to Gene in California? Gene! Well, hello there, Dr. Kramer. Yo, I'm how are you? Sears Corporation, symbol C-E-R-S. Well, About you need to be a doctor to work show. with them. All right, now understand, this is a very, very, I mean, those of us who have unfortunately had to deal uh, it's with someone in our lives with, with, that had uh, that needed the safety of a blood transfusion, uh, all I can tell you is this is a very niche speculative business where they're not making a lot of money. I'm going to say no. I need to go to Kevin in Texas. Kevin! Booyah to you, Mr. Jim Kramer. Wow, uh, man, chills like this. What's up? Uh, which proved to be so helpful, and the fundamental analysis and education that you shared truly oh, helped. Thank you, man. Thank field. you. I, I, I'm calling today for your thoughts on CIMEX, stock symbol CX. I like these guys. Okay, now look, I do a lot of business in Mexico. I like CMEX. I actually think it's a, a really great spec. Well, it's, you know, it's an eight-dollar stock, so I have calls. But, but this is a great play on infrastructure. It's also a great play on a country that I think is not nearly as well. A lot of people feel Mexico is a failed state. I am a believer in Mexico. I think CMEX is good. I need to go to Kevin in New York. Kevin, Mr. Kramer, how yeah, are you? I am good. How are you? Not too bad. I recently bought ALT, uh, a little bit over sixteen dollars. Don't know if I should dump it. Well, no, but you know, understand this is a company that has not had a great record of success, and it is uh, immune. You know, it does do a lot. Of, it's a biotech company, an immunotherapy biotech company. There are a lot of other companies that do the same thing that I like a lot more, including, believe it or not, Moderna. How about Josh in Colorado, Josh? Hey, how's it going? Mr. Not bad, Kramer. Josh. Thank you. How about you? Pretty good. Uh, Long time listener, first time ever calling. Oh, this thank you. Be talking to you. Thank I'm, you. I'm impressed, man. This is really cool. It's cool enough. I, How do I help? I have I have a million stocks I could be asking you about, okay. but I'm just going to take one. All I right. got one that I'm really interested in because I play poker on my phone. Gotcha. Zynga. And Zynga. And I like Zynga. Zinga's okay, it's very inexpensive stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, enough with the alphabet soup. Whatever pattern the recovery makes on the charts, Kramer's focused on helping you grow your portfolio. Mad Money will be right back. Jim Kramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. 
Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. like we've been through the whole darn alphabet with this recovery, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. First, what did we have? We had the L. We thought it'd be an L, just a flat line. Uh, This is not LUV Southwest Air. I love that stock, though. A flat line where the economy limps along the bottom, right? And maybe for years because of COVID, because who knew when we could solve it? Then it miraculously became a U last spring when Congress passed a gigantic stimulus package and the Fed started effectively backstopping corporate bonds to prevent companies from going bankrupt. Many of them would. Then that U turned into a V, a rapid decline. Then followed by an equally rapid recovery. Only the real optimists believe this could happen, by the way. Once we started getting our hands on some powerful COVID vaccines much sooner than expected. Think Moderna and Pfizer. But now I think, you know what, we got to retire the whole alphabet. It wasn't the alphabet at all. Because there's no letter that describes this trajectory. Turns out the economy is more like a check mark, Where many businesses are now doing better Right here, doing better than they were in 2019, the last full year before the pandemic hit. I find this to be marvelous. Every day we hear another one of these stories. Last night it was Levi's, which reported a magnificent quarter thanks to the start of a new denim cycle, aided by the fact that 35 percent of Americans changed waist sizes during the pandemic. That's unheard of. Never, never happened. Suddenly, you have millions of people who can't fit into their old pants and require new ones. By the way, you said it was some were smaller and some were uh, some were uh, uh, bigger. When you when you're stuck at home, you can get away with wearing stretchy casual wear. But once you go back to the office, you got to put on real pants, the kind that actually need to fit. What else is driving the checkmark recovery? We know that the Paycheck Protection Program allowed lots of struggling businesses to stay alive. But how about the ones that weren't struggling? Between all the newly available storefronts and the bountiful credit, the winners have been able to get bigger. Outfits like the very liquid, very profitable, authentic brands, which is coming public, have gobbled up, gobbled up Forever 21 and even JCPenney, closing holes that have been driving customers away from the mall for ages. It's one of the reasons why the malls are doing so well. By the way, they picked up uh, Brooks Brothers and Barney's, too. The so-called A-malls, the best ones, are actually healthier than they were when the pandemic got rolling. A total anomaly. And there, I want you to think about Simon Properties, which I like so much. Oh, and speaking of anomalies, the hybrid workplace has given wealthier families an excuse to double their footprint. A second house is easy to come by with mortgage rates this low. And it's not exactly difficult to get a home equity loan in order to turn an extra room into an office like you have to. The continued ascendance of e-commerce has created a massive amount of warehouse construction. We rarely think about everything that goes into the logistics of selling everything online. But that business is booming and requires a lot of equipment to make that stuff. Hey, by the way, meanwhile, we're building a ton of, uh, of infrastructure to export oil, gasoline, and other petroleum byproducts. The last stimulus package contained a gigantic child tax credit, and that ensures that this will be the strongest back-to-school season in history. Check mark. If the bipartisan infrastructure bill can pass the Senate, that will create incredible demand for heavy equipment. The steel tariffs have our mills running flat out. Our pathetic electric grid and the demand for clean energy have put a whole new cohort to work. And, of course, years worth of tech investment got pulled forward by the pandemic. All these changes have created a staggering 
boom, producing a fabulous checkmark economy that almost no one saw coming. There's only one thing that can stop it at this point, a big spike in COVID infections, because people in certain parts of the country don't want to get vaccinated. They even get mad at me on Twitter for saying I think it's good to get vaccinated. The new Delta variant is virtually unstoppable without the vaccines, just trying to help people here. But I'm skeptical it will cause another shutdown anyway, because the most vulnerable states, the ones with the lowest vaccination rates, are also the ones most hostile to imposing new COVID restrictions. So they won't they shouldn't really hurt the economy. However, the rest of the world has been much slower to embrace the vaccines, not doing as good a job as we did. So if Europe and Asia get hit, that could hurt us. But unless the Delta variant upends the entire global economy, I think the check mark is here to stay. And that's very good news, despite all the hand-wringing about how we don't have enough workers and out-of-control wage inflation. You know what? I call that a high-quality problem. When people ask you what kind of recovery from now on, you say, Kramer says, check mark. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 